Thank you. So we've begun this year. It's good to see you all, by the way. Is it all right if I speak with a hat on? All right. Um, we've begun this year reminding ourselves of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christ follower, what it means in the way that we live and the way that we practice. Last week we told how then should we now live in the light of us being disciples of Jesus. Um, that God, God wants to use us. He wants to work inside of us. Part of emotional health is helping us, part of our spiritual being with Jesus, but so that we can live effectively for him in the world, toward the world. Um, and that affects every area of our life. And, but there's also a realm in which we live as disciples of Jesus. And that realm is what the Bible would call the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of our Lord and Savior. What, there's a, there are many ways that the Bible speaks about that realm that God's people live in. And currently that realm, the kingdom of God, coexists with the realm of this world. They coexist with each other. The one's in the other. So Jesus would say, you're in this world, but you're not of it. You're in the kingdom of the world, but you are ruled by the kingdom of God if you are a Christ follower. And so... What I want to do a little bit today is talk about the kingdom of God, because that's going to lead us into a whole series that's going to take 14, 15 weeks, and we're going to look at parables um, and see how they take, each parable deals with a specific characteristic of what it means to be in the kingdom or to be a kingdom person or what kingdom life looks like. So obviously we want to do a little introduction of what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. So... Part of the problem that we have, I think, is that as Americans, we have a crisis. And our crisis is that we don't want to live under a king. We gave that up 250 years ago. King George, whoever we didn't like, we had a revolutionary war, and uh, we don't want to do that. I mean, you can go watch Hamilton, it's in there too. We just didn't, we want, we didn't want to be part of this realm that was ruled by a king. So today, and we wanted a democracy. And so coming out of that is this incredible democracy that is the United States. For a worldly system, it's a pretty special system. But it's not the God system. It's the system of this world, and it's the, one of the best that we have. So we're not wanting to throw it out. Is that fair enough? But our crisis is that as followers of Jesus, we are called to live in, a, in another realm, so while we're in this democratic realm of the United States, of these 50 states of America, we are also in the realm of the kingdom of heaven that is led by a king. Fortunately, his name is not King George or King Edward or Queen Elizabeth or any one of those. And, but it gives us a crisis because psychologically, we have been trained through our schooling system through everything is we should not submit to a king. We actually have a say in our own lives. We vote on this, and the will of the people is what comes out the other side. But actually within the kingdom of God, it doesn't really work like that. And so we have this crisis that we face. And I think that as we begin to look at that in a healthy way and allow Jesus through his spirit to begin to work with us, I think we can see some victory and some change come and realize we can be citizens currently of both worlds, allowing this one to rule the way we live in this one. Is that fair enough? Is that, would that be an accurate picture of where we find ourselves? If you live in other parts of the world, 
the kingdom of God is not such a struggle because they shaped differently. Um, so let's say this. The kingdom of God is neither a democracy nor is it a despot state. Because I think we think if it's not a democracy, then it's some sort of controlling, freaky person that's holding us captive. The kingdom of God is neither. The kingdom of God is a realm, I wrote here, where we are meant to flourish under the protection and the rule of a benevolent king who is kind and gracious and loving and generous. And in fact, Jesus says, as he's the king, he says, I want, to t- I want to tell you about a father, Abba. The one that rules, and he's given that rulership to me, is Abba Father. So this is a benevolent, wonderful God. Now understand, too, that Father has its own complications in our world. And we might have to rediscover that word. Emotionally healthy spirituality will help you if you need to recover that word well. Um, But this king, this Jesus, he's kind, he's generous. He's not a weakling. He's not a pushover. But man, he is gracious toward us. And Paul, in Romans 14, at the end of his letter, that great picture of, what, of God and the church and salvation, and he said the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. What's he saying? It's not about a whole bunch of buying a set of laws and regulations and rules and being pleased. It's actually about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's, the kingdom of God is about being in right standing with the king. How many of you have watched the Budweiser ad, Dilly Dilly? So silly. You know, If you don't bring the right gift, you will not. No, our king is not like that. If you, bring Bud, if you want to bring a bottle of wine, he'll take that as well, not just the Budweiser. He's gracious, he's kind, it's right, we're in right standing with him. But it's also about peace. Romans 5 says, now in Christ, because of our Christ, and we have peace with God. There's this unity, there's this open, there's this access that we have to this king, that we don't have to go through a set of ambassadors and courtiers and all that to get. We have freedom immediately, us to this king and his joy. That's the kingdom that we are meant to be living in, a one that's full of righteousness, peace, and joy, not rules and regulations and control and policing. But our minds so easily flip to the other, and we, we struggle with that. So coming out of that crisis, understanding that this, what is this kingdom, let's look at it. I want to, if you have your Bibles, and I'd like to ask a question, a rhetorical, you do not have to answer it. How many of you have opened your Bible this week? 1 Samuel chapter 8. <laughs> it's a beautiful, this is a beautiful book, mine's, yeah. So, this is a story about, as we know, of God looking after his people, calling a people and through the history of Adam and Eve, whatever, and, and so the Jews are in enslaved in Egypt, and God comes and frees them, and he comes and loves on them, and he takes them out of their slavery and their bondage, and he brings them into this wilderness to lead them and guide them, to train them in the ways, in his ways, leads them into this promised land, and then they had Moses, and then they have Joshua, and then they have these judges, 
and everything's going wrong. And then Samuel's there, and Samuel's one, he's like a prophet judge, and then he appoints his sons, and they're kind of not so good. But all the nations around, they have their own despot kings. It says this, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. That's what we're afraid of, isn't it? We're afraid of being ruled because of this. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them, and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And then if you read the next section, Samuel speaks about that. So at the heart of the matter, when we talk about the kingdom of God, there's this gracious, kind, loving, generous God who wants to rule over his people and bring them into everything that is good. But some of his appointed leaders have done badly. Now that people say, we just want a king like everybody else who will tell us what to do, will control us, etc., etc., And God says, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And at the heart of the matter of the human heart is that we want to reject God as king. We'll take any other system except God. Because actually, it's very hard to live in a realm where someone is always kind, generous, kind, gracious towards us. It feels like uncomfortable. Don't you meet people and you just, what's the matter with them? They're so soppy sweet. And all they are is just beautiful. And it makes you awkward. But that's what God, 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 God wants to lead us in that way. He's a, strong, he's a strong king, but he's loving, he's generous, he's kind. So, this, so the rest of the Old Testament is working all of this out where it goes all wrong. The next, the next king that comes along is this fellow David. And we won't go read about him. But David, before he was a king, he was a? shepherd. And that's the king that God really wants. That's the king he always wanted. He wanted someone who had the heart of a shepherd. Because God has the heart of a shepherd. How do we know that? Because David the shepherd wrote a beautiful psalm, which is our memory psalm, our memory verse for this month, Psalm 23, the Lord is my despot king. I shall always want things. Is that what it says? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's God's heart. He wants to be a shepherd to us. He wants to lead us to still waters, to quiet springs. He wants to lead us into wholeness. When we come before enemies, he wants to protect us, lay a table. He wants, us, he wants to boast in us. That's the God, the king that we want to serve. Are we all right so far? Are you following? Bibles, Matthew 1. I'm going to go through Matthew just a little bit. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. So this Jesus that we're going to talk about, this Jesus who's king, is son of David. It's, he's in the line of David. So embedded deep in him is this shepherd king who will shepherd his people, who will lead them to great places, who will lead them to wholeness. We have to participate with him in that by following and doing these things, but he wants to lead us. He's this kind, gracious, generous, beautiful, loving king in the line of the David. Jump to chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, and if you don't, it's okay. It speaks about the wise men and the birth of Jesus, and we did that when we did the, the Advent series. So here are these wise men. They come from somewhere in the east. They're astrologers. They're pagan astrologers, pagan priests. They see a star. They read the star. They come across because they have seen that a king has been born in Israel, and they've come to worship this king. They've recognized it. The first place they go is to Herod, who's what? A king. King Herod. Illegitimate kind of way. I mean, he's legitimate, but in many ways, in terms of the way that God is working, he's not the king that God wanted, but he's a king. He's sort of this Roman king that's been put there over Israel. They come and say, a king has been born, and there's this great conflict that begins to happen in Herod. What's Herod's desire? He wants to go kill this, quote, new king. He calls his prophets. They say a new king will be born in Bethlehem as is prophesied. He wants to kill this real king. And we have to recognize, I think, really carefully that whenever King Jesus, this benevolent, beautiful, kind, loving, generous, strong king comes into our lives and wants to lead us, Everything that's kingly from the world that's in us rises in opposition and wants to crush it. If we don't recognize that, we will be fooling ourselves. And that king that rises in opposition to King Jesus is the king of, you name it, of this worldly system. Money, jobs, anything rises in conflict, things that will take away from King Jesus leading us into everything. We'll try to destroy it. We see that again when we get to Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted. The third temptation is Satan, who's, quote, king of the world. He's, he, he has legal authority to kind of rule, the ruler of this world, takes Jesus up onto the pinnacle, shows him the kingdoms of the world, says, I will give you all these if you will bow to me. What's at work here is the same idea is that the kingdom of this world will give us the things that will make us feel real glad if we can do it illegitimately against the plans of the real king. And God's plan is to bless us and prosper us so that we can be a blessing to our world. The world king wants to bless us and prosper us so that we can be fat cats to ourselves, generally. They are in opposition. We have to recognize that. Now, it takes a lifetime for that to be worked out as Jesus begins to rule and reign in our lives and change us. And we do all sorts of spiritual practices that help us for Jesus to rule more and more in our lives. But we have to recognize it. I love quoting from the newsroom, that first, you know, the first episode of the newsroom, which is wonderful. And at the end of it, 
uh, Jeff Daniels, the, whatever his, what his name in the show, he says, you can't solve a problem until you recognize there is one. We have to recognize that actually we have a problem and that we have two kingdoms in conflict. Is that all right? Still on the same page? Making sense? Okay. So if we jump to Matthew chapter 3, here comes this wild man, John the Baptist, dressed in camel things and belts and locusts out of his mouth and honey in his hair. I don't know what. And he comes and he says, what? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is hand, and he goes on, he says, I'm this one, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Here comes this prophet, he said, the kingdom of heaven is being reintroduced back into our world. He's writing into this Jewish setting that was supposed to have a God as king and they had all these false kings. He said, the kingdom of God is coming back. And it's coming back in the way they were supposed to, through a king who's gracious and kind and loving and generous and for us. This king is coming. And if you want to see this kingdom, if you want to embrace this kingdom, if you want to get ready for this kingdom, the starting spot is repent. Recognize, repentance is the recognition that the, the path you're on is not helping. You need to go on another path. It's not wailing, oh, oh, it's so bad. That's not repentance. That's just feel sorry for yourself. That's not biblical repentance. Biblical repentance is a recognition that maybe this path I'm on is not the right one, and there's another one, and I need to go down that path. And John is saying, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to make that decision. You have to make that choice. We all have to make that choice. It's a daily thing. Every day, it's like course correction, course correction. When you're traveling your maps, what does your map say? Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Because as you get more information, rerouting, rerouting. Kind of that's what it is. It's not a once-off thing. It's a primary once-off thing. But every day, it's rerouting. So emotional, healthy spirituality for me was a major reroute. Major reroute helpful one but it was a reroute it was a repentance it was a changing um, there's something I want to say there I can't remember Matthew 4 which is the text that Aaron read to us John the Baptist is put in prison he, you know he, because he he challenged the, the false king on marital relationships. So he was chucked in jail. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the prophet preparing the way was doing that, and then the king came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at at hand, repent, prepare for it, ready. If you want to see it, you need to make some changes. And then he begins. And this is a really, really important thing. You see it in Acts 2 when Peter preaches this, the, the great message at Pentecost. And what must we do? And he says, repent. That's how, you, that's how you start this kingdom life, repent. Not one of us is excused from the process of repentance. 
And it's not a, it's not a, it's not like a whip thing. Repent or else. No, it's it's be, when you are faced with something glorious, you say, I want to change. We'll come to that in a little bit. Um, Romans two, Paul writing, and he says this. You know, he's talking about the law and also things. He's, you know, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not a whip. It's the kindness. God is so kind. When we look at that, man, that is so amazing. I want that. Just change. Just repent. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. There's no coercion. There is no manipulation. Do you know that? God does not manipulate you into his ways and into his kingdom. He just lays it out. He shows himself as this beautiful God. He reveals to us a beautiful story. As we'll see in a moment, he demonstrates a beautiful life. And he says, can or you don't have to. So he begins. Follow me. That's the beginning of what it means to enter the kingdom of God is repentance. You're doing your thing? No. Come, this is what it looks like. Come, follow me. It's not repent. I know your way is right, but let me do my own way. No, it's come, follow me. Now, that follow me doesn't mean you have to give up your job. It doesn't mean it. Maybe some it does. But that doesn't mean that. It means you're changing everything that shapes the way that you think and the way that you engage into the world. Come follow me. And then he says, and I will make you fishers of men. Now he says it to these guys who is called who are fishermen. But when you read the, the whole of the text, I think when God says, come, Brian, come follow me and I will make you something beautiful for the sake of my kingdom. Might not be a fisher of men as the predominant thing. Might be I will make you an instructor. You know, I'll make you a servant. I will make you a lover. I will make you a carer. I will make you a lover of the poor. Whatever. I will make you into a marvelous business person that reshapes the world. Whatever. But whenever we choose to follow Jesus, it's part of it is that he wants to shape us and make us into something. It's not so that we can go to church on Sunday. It's so that we will be led by him and allow him to change us emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, you know, relationally. At every level, he wants to change us to become the people of the kingdom. And it's a lifelong process. This doesn't happen today. It's lifelong. It's ongoing. And one day, one day, it'll all be wrapped up and it'll be beautiful because the kingdom keeps going. The kingdom of this world will die not the kingdom of God. I think that the thing that God makes us into as we follow Jesus, I'll make you, is always geared towards the benefit of others. I will make you, you'll be fishers of men, others. I will make you a blessing so that you can bless others. I will make you whatever. It's all, it changes you, but it's towards the people of this world. It's always that. It goes back to Genesis 12. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Matthew 28 ends. Matthew, if you just do the whole of Matthew, Matthew 28 says, no, 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 you go. And as you go, make disciples. 
You, you go make some things, help people to walk in the ways of the kingdom. Goes, and he went, verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel? What's that word mean? Good news. Most of us think the gospel's bad news. The world thinks the gospel's bad news because we have done such a lousy job at living it out and the way that we speak about it. But actually, it's good news. It's good news of the kingdom. It's good news that a kind, gracious, loving, generous, beautiful, wonderful God has chosen to make himself known and invest of his life, his very life, into this world so that the world could be a better place. That's good news. And Jesus begins to proclaim this good news. But he doesn't just proclaim it. This is the, this, the thing, is that he actually begins to do something that actually shows the life that he's proclaiming. And so we proclaim to be people of the kingdom, then our lives must demonstrate what it looks like to be in the kingdom. Now, again, we are not Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are growing into fullness, and none of us do it perfectly. And we screw up quite a bit, all of us. But some of the things that begin to happen as we live out kingdom life is that healings come and deliverance and salvation and emotional change and people feeling loved and the broken are restored and the prisoners are, are visited and the hungry are fed and the thirsty are, are, are given liquid. Just a little, little story within a story. We go to South Africa in April. April 21st is when we fly from Durban to Cape Town. That day has been declared day zero when there will be no water in Cape Town. How about that? Right now, Cape Town are reduced to 50 liters per day per household. Divide that by four, how much is that? 12? 12 gallons a day per household. But when we get there, it'll be even less. They're saying they will turn the water off and there will be collection points. The kingdom of God takes water to the thirsty. I don't know. But that's scary, isn't it? But this kingdom life is a life that is kind and generous. And as we are kingdom life people, we demonstrate our words and our acknowledgement and this, this, by the way that we live toward people. Now, you're not all meant to suddenly become these missionaries to go to India and wherever. You're all meant to be kingdom people where, as you go into your world, Wherever it is, you live out kingdom value. Your word is your word. Your marriage is your marriage. You know, all those things, your, your ethic is your ethic. It's God ways. That's what we're meant to do as people of the kingdom. And it's hard. I, you know, I'm not living in the business world. All of you are. I kind of live in a little bubble. And it's hard. Imagine what it's like where you guys are. I'm just thinking it's really, really hard. Am I right? Is it hard to be a kingdom person in the world that you're in? That's why this is important. So that you can come back and say, I had a crappy week. That was hard. 
I just felt like I had to lie if I wanted to find my way through you. I had to cheat or I had to do. I just was really, come, let us love. Let's care for one another. Let's stir one another up. Let's help us to say this week, this could be a better week. Come back next week. Man, there were some good times. And oh, man, I screwed up again. Okay, let's come back together because we are God's people caring for one another so that we can grow in everything that we have. Remember, grace is the face that love wears when it faces imperfection. And when you walk in the door and you come and say to me, Terry, today I screwed up. I don't go, oh, oh. I don't do that. I say, that's okay. Let me put my arm around you. We're going to be okay. We are like that man who comes to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a question. He says, oh, man, I do believe. But please, would you help me overcome my unbelief? Because I think at a base level, all of us underneath, we believe. Isn't that right? But sometimes at the top level, we're struggling to believe. I mean, Jesus tells a story about that. It's a real issue. It's okay. He doesn't judge the car. The only people that Jesus kind of gets in their faces are the ones who say, we've got it all right, look at us, it's good. They won't acknowledge their weakness. It's really kind to those who do. That's the way of the kingdom. And we are kingdom people. I've gone off my notes a little bit. Chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew is a kingdom manifesto. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He says, this is what the people of the kingdom are like. They're poor in spirit. They've got enemies that they're going to try to love. They're struggling with lust and anger. All the, you know, it just goes on. And they're wrestling with money and God. And they just go, it's a manifest of the kingdom. It's so beautiful. Jesus said, no, if you put these things into practice, little by little, you will, be, you will change. You will, be, you, you will become solidified. Your, your, your foundation will become strong. You won't fall down. In chapter 6 of this great Sermon on the Mount, are you still with me? Anyone bored? Hope not. Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that it will be added to you. What does that mean to seek the kingdom first? Because it kind of can be ethereal, can it not? Seek first the kingdom. It's a great song. Karen Lafferty wrote that in the 70s, kept her in the mission field for 30 years, the royalties of that song. Seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you. What does that mean? It means, what's the dominating value system in your life? So that when you engage the value system of the world, you engage it with a higher value that's in you. Seek first the ways of the kingdom, so that when you enter the world, you already know what you're doing, and you have more chance of having an effect and being successful. When you do that, all the other things will fall into alignment and work out correctly. Why? Because God's committed to doing that for you. Doesn't mean it won't be there won't be hardship. Seek first the kingdom. So when you enter your week this week, God, what do you, what is the value you wanted me to take into tomorrow, Monday? I've got three meetings. What is the what are you wanting me to take into that meeting that's kingdom? I can't say, I'm seeking first the kingdom, I'm not going to the meeting. Can't do that. You've got to go to the meeting. That's why you're getting paid. 
So, but you can say, what is the value that you've invested in my life so that when I go into that meeting, that is in me? It shapes the way that I think. And only you know that. You see, ultimately, this is what coexisting as the kingdom of God in the kingdom of this world currently looks at is that the kingdom of God that's in us, that's shaping us, we take that into our world and we bring change. And sometimes we fail. And that's all right. I asked in the beginning of the... How many, how many opened this this week and read? It's important to read because this is a book, especially if you just want to read the Gospels. There's a story about our king. It tells us about how this Jesus lives and how he engaged people and how he did things. And I know we live 2,000 years later and he, he took long rambles between towns and we can drive in five minutes and life's more hectic. I understand all that. But there are still things that we learn from the life of Jesus and the way that he interacted with people that can shape us in the way that we interact with people. So as we enter the parables, which Brian's going to kick off next week, the parables are these stories. I'll just, you know, parables, something, a story thrown alongside, a story that has been given to illustrate some characteristic or some point about the kingdom. And we're going to do a series on those. What is it that God is trying to show us about the kingdom? So Jesus tells the story, the kingdom of God is like... Often the parables start like that, and he tells a story because he's trying to make a point. Brian, I won't take any of Brian's thunder as he kicks that off. Could we end this little talk with maybe a minor commitment to consider that God is for us and not against us, that the kingdom of God is a good thing and not a bad thing, that the, ki that the kingdom of this world is not helpful, but we live in it. And that we are, if we are going to be successful as God's people in this world, it's going to take some work, it's going to take some effort, it's going to take some care for about one another, it's going to do it. But God in Jesus believes we can. This king that we serve, that we, King Jesus, is kind, he's loving, he's gracious, he's generous, he's beautiful. He's amazing. Take some time to grow in your relationship with him. Take some time to find out about him. Take some time to be quiet before him. Take some, whatever it is, any, whatever you, to say, Jesus, show me. Would you take three minutes in our practice of silence and solitude and just close your eyes, ponder the, the talk, Ponder a point that might have come out of the talk. Ponder a point that might have sparked because of something. Say, Jesus, show me a little more about you. Show me a little more about who you are and what this beautiful, beautiful realm that you've called us into is like.